Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. We are in a series where we're looking at what does it mean to be fully human. That we live in a world that bends us in a certain way. Would you agree? (laughs) That this world doesn't just... um, Uh, we can't just live neutrally in this world, that it somehow bends us and and shapes us depending on on how our worldview is, where our upbringing, um, what we surround ourselves with, that that this world isn't neutral. It's actually doing something to us, and it bends us a certain way. And so this book of Ephesians, um, the churches in Ephesus that it was written to, it was written by Ephesus. Ephesians was written by a a guy named Paul. He's a missionary, apostle, uh, wrote this general letter. Um, it's different than the other letters in the epistles because it's, a, it's not a specific letter addressing a certain cause or a, um, an issue. It's a general letter that was meant to be circulated among the churches, kind of a foundational document. And um, if you're familiar with, the, with Ephesus, as we've been talking about it, this was a very large city. It was a, the second largest city in the Roman Empire outside of Rome. It had much influence within the empire. Um, it was a, a source of Artemis worship, of pagan worship. It was um, obviously a source where Roman, uh, um, uh, the empire had, had stronghold there. And so you have these, these households, these church, house churches in Ephesus who are kind of entering into this and going, what have we gotten ourselves into? Are we doing this right? What do we do in light of this city that we live in that um, uh, is, is bending us a certain way? And do we partake? Do we participate in? Is there a difference between the life that we were leading to the life that we now are called to live? And so Paul sets this groundwork, this framework, this foundation for the churches in Ephesus in order to give us, to give them um, an idea of what it means. And so if you're familiar, as we've been following, the first part of Ephesians deals with um, what Jesus Christ has done for us, what God has done for you. Um, It's totally an act of grace. It's totally a gift. He spends um, three chapters just reminding them who you are, who you are, who you are. It's like he's just instilling this in you. This is secure. This can't be taken away from you. Be grounded in this. Trust in this. Find safety and security in this truth. And then we get to chapter 4, and it hinges in chapter 4, and it says, now, in view of this, live a life worthy um, of the one which you have been called. And so we see this hinge, and Bill talked about it um, a few weeks back. I love what he said. He said, you've been adopted into royalty. Now learn to use the right fork. Is that good? So good. And, I mean, yeah, it's like salad forks and dinner forks. You get it, right? You get there another good. Um, Learn to use the right fork. And so there's work to be done. And I think um, we're going to talk a lot this morning about the work that we need to do. And I think um, I'm going to have a couple disclaimers here in a second. But what we're talking about the next two weeks, you don't want to miss. It's how do we live in light of the Holy Spirit empowering us, filling us, breathing life into us. That what we're talking about this morning cannot be sustained by ourselves. It has to be sustained in the spirit, whatever we sustain and build in the flesh has to be sustained in the flesh. And we are not capable of that for much, for very long. Um, and so we need the spirit. And we have a gift in John Peters, who is coming for the next two weeks. Um, he's from St. Mary's, London, a great friend. He's, he's spoken here many times before. 
he led our Holy Spirit conference, introduced our Holy Spirit conference, and really the, um, who we are is because of much of what he, he brought through um, the power of the Spirit and, um, six years ago. And so we are a product now of, of um, what God has do, done through him and doing through him. It's a gift to have him. You're not going to want to miss the next two weeks because this, what I'm talking about this morning, hinges on that reality as well. And so um, let's jump into the scripture. Uh, we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll get going. So um, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15. The words will be on the screen if you don't um, have a Bible. Um, it says this, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is but understand what the Lord's will is. It's going to keep going. But that's where I'm, that's where I'm stopping. I'm going to stop there. Um, and I think there's many of us here this morning, myself included, who say, how did I get here? And what have I done? I, I didn't expect life to be like this. I thought I'd be further along, whatever that means. I thought I would have overcome this by now. How did I get here? And I think if we're honest, we all have places in our lives that we're not proud of. These ugly places that we just can't quite seem to get a grip on, that we can't quite seem to get past. And some of you, it's not your own doing. It's been done to you. It's been done against you. Again, we live in a world that, that bends us a certain way, that there's powers and principalities behind the things that um, are of this world that we, we, we are affected by. And yet, there's some of it has been our own doing that we have participated in. We have actively done things that we wish we didn't do. Um, and so, I, you know, whether it's routines that we have, the lifestyles, the habits that we form. And so, this morning, what I want to talk about um, and how do we live wisely? How do we live transformed lives? It's really looking at how I want, to th- want us to rethink why our behavior matters now. Why does what we do matter now? And maybe you wouldn't even consider yourself a Christian yet. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful thing that you're here on this journey of figuring what this all means. And even, even for you and for all of us, to think about what does it mean to be fully human? What were we meant to be in the first place? If what we feel right now is something is not right, is something is off, this isn't what I expected it to be, what is, what is that mean? What does that mean to be a part of something that we are no longer um, what we were, but now we're a new creation? And so, um, as, as we talk about this, this is, these are some of the questions that we're asking. Does our behavior matter now? Because what's the point? Many of us, we receive salvation, we invite Jesus into our lives, so that what? We don't go to hell? We get into heaven? We have our ticket. And the the audacity of grace, the audacity of God's love, is that it is boiled down to this reality that our, our, our salvation is secure in Christ. We are hidden in Christ. Um, because heaven is, is in, incredibly important. I love what N.T. Wright says. It's, heavenly is important, but it's not the end of the world. And it's like, there's a, there's a reality happening. There's a story happening. There's... There is life after death, and there's life after life after death. So there's a, there's a process that's happening that 
heaven is coming down to earth, that there is, there is um, the now, we live in this tension of the now and not yet, but that's not the ultimate reality. We will one day be with Jesus here on earth, fully human, just like back in the garden when God was with Adam and Eve and there um, was no sin in the world. And that's our hope, and we have hope in that. And that is a beautiful thing. But what about now? Are we simply to wait however many years until we die and just say, good riddance, earth. You kind of (laughs) sucked. What about heaven here on earth? What about the reality of who we are called to be? What about what it means to be the restoration, part of the restoration and renewal of all things? That The verse that grounds and rooted our church in the beginning was the verse in Isaiah, that you will be like a well-watered garden. The streams of water will never fail. You will be called repairer of streets with dwellings, rebuilder of, of broken roads. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a part of the restoration process here and now? And so um, I heard someone once say, and the, the quote's going to be on the screen here, our initial act of belief can become simply a matter of assent to a proposition with no need for transformation. And this is a, a, weighty, a weighty phrase. So this matter of assent to a proposition, like, we have viewed our salvation and our security to just this belief. And we stopped with the idea of the belief and not how the belief then transforms our lives. And so I think we do a disservice to the, even the word belief. If it's just a set of principles that we have memorized in our head and it doesn't trans, transfer to actions with our heart and our minds and our body and our soul, then we're missing something. And so transformation, something that is no longer the same about it, about once, no longer the same about what it once was. There's an evolutionary process to transformation. What it's being transformed into is something somehow different than what it was before. It's able to do things after it's been transformed that it wasn't before it was transformed. And so um, this transformation, though, gets hijacked in our minds. We think, okay, um, I've accepted Jesus, I'm, I, I offer my life, and, and yet somehow we get caught in these ruts, these kind of lines that keep us on a path where we don't see transformation. Our behavior doesn't seem to change all that much. And we either enter into three phases of mind. And before I get here, I want to first kind of disclaimer, make, make, make sure we're on the same page here. What I'm talking about can sound a lot like, well, you're talking about, John, you're talking about salvation through works. And that's not what I'm talking about. We have no spiritual ladder to climb. We have no hoops to jump through. We're not going to be talking this morning, um, we're going to be talking this morning about behavior, but I don't want uh, you to buy that lie that our salvation is based upon works. But I think we would all say there's work to be done in ourselves and in this world. So how is that supposed to happen if we're not being transformed along the way? So again, Three ways that we can get this, this gets hijacked. We simply trudge along, knowing that one day we'll be with Jesus. We enter the cycle of sin, grace, forgiveness, sin, grace, forgiveness, sin, grace, forgiveness. And we kind of have this downtrodden look about us, and we just have this mentality of, well, I'm just, a, I'm, I'm just, and that's key, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm no more than just a sinner saved by grace. And one of, one of my favorite authors, James Bryan Smith, writes this. He says, saying you're just a sinner saved by grace is like a butterfly saying, I'm just a worm with wings. We are a royal priesthood. We are saints. We are sons. We are daughters. We are heirs to the kingdom. We are hidden in Christ. 
you are not just a sinner saved by grace. That's not even in scripture. So how do we identify with that and let that be the line? I'm just going to one day escape this world and um, I'm just going to keep my head down and I'm just this worm with wings until one day I'm with Jesus. That's, you're missing out on, on life that is truly life if that's our mentality. Another way that we um, hijack, this gets hijacked, is that we find ourselves um, so rigid to the rules, so rigid to following God's way as a, a set of principles that we become very um, judgmental. We're full of knowledge, but we have this pride in our hearts that doesn't allow us, that, that, that kind of looks down on everyone else that doesn't have this thing that we are perceiving, that, that we're, we're, yeah, we're projecting that we have. Because really, it's a mask that we wear. I wear this mask, and I've had to take this mask off of saying, look, um, uh, behind this mask of self-righteousness and holiness is actually a broken and hurting heart that needs Jesus. But we think that we have to put on this show of holiness that, um, uh, that we cannot even show a crack in our, in, our, in our own self. And that will hijack this transformation process that we will simply just turn it into a set of beliefs and not a, not a set of transformations that are supposed to happen with us. And lastly, I think... Um, Many of us, and we, we kind of are all these things at once in many ways, but lastly, a lot of us coast. We let life happen to us. Life after Christ doesn't look much different than life before Christ. And the danger in staying there is that it puts us in this neutral territory like I was talking about. And the thing about being in neutral is that this world is not neutral. Evil is gravitational. This world is gravitational in science, and in, in spirituality. It pulls us in towards something if we remain still, if we remain standing. And if we're not actively working this out, working out our faith, our salvation, the things that turn us into more to be like Christ than evil in this world is going to win. And we're going to be pulled into that. We're secure in salvation, but our lives don't look much different while we're here. And so... We become what we do. You look at your calendars, look at your phone apps, look at your relationships. Do they reflect a life that is in neutral or moving towards something greater and bigger than itself? And again, I can't emphasize this enough. We have to be confident in the love that God has for us. It is an assurance of our faith. And Paul goes to great lengths to affirm this foundation in them, to affirm this love in them, to affirm this inheritance in them. And we say this line, and I love this quote from Brennan Manning, God loves you as you are, not as you should be. Period. Signed, sealed, delivered, we're done. But many of us, and I, 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 see, I think there's like a little crack in that where it says, well, does God, and it's, it's kind of a cliche line, but I think God loves you enough for you not to stay in this perpetual state. I think there's something pulling us to a life that he has for us that is far greater than we could ever have imagined. And we, we, we need to backtrack here a bit. So before we go deeper into um, Ephesians 5.15, we're going to um, take a look at Ephesians 5.8. If we don't first identify with what we are supposed to be in this world, we won't have an idea of what it means for us 
um, as followers of Jesus to discern what it means to live wisely, to live transformed lives. So starting in verse 8, I'm gonna, um, it'll be on the screen as well, 5.8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So light and darkness, you cannot have more two opposing things. Um, You can't have one and have the other. Any bit of lightness, there is no longer darkness. There is a transformation process as we move from darkness to lightness. And every time I leave this room, this dark, dimly lit room, and try to go pick up my daughter and leave these doors, I'm like, it's like a flashbang grenade has gone off my eyes. And I'm so disoriented. I can't make out anyone's faces. I'm trying to like, like smile and put on a face. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, give me a minute. Because moving from darkness to light is disorienting. Am I right? It's a bit, like, it's a bit, it's a bit confusing. And we sometimes, I'll like find myself coming back. Like, I, I, I can't do that yet. I've got to come back to the darkness. I just I need, to, need a second. We need kind of these transitional periods. And that, that is not too dissimilar to some of our, our stories. And I think um, if, we, if we recognize that, it helps. And um, a couple things, a couple observations that I'd like to make um, and tendencies for us to kind of fall into some pitfalls with these, this scripture. Um, notice that Paul isn't saying people of darkness. He's saying deeds of darkness. I think some of the, things, some of the ways that we can disengage um, being a, a redemptive presence in this city, in our workplaces, with our families and our friends, is to remove ourselves from the people because we don't want to associate with darkness. But it, we, how are we going to expose, how are we going to be light to a dark world? How are we going to enter into spaces if we, um, and I'm not saying the Garden Church, you guys, we, we don't do this. We're not the picket stand people. We're not, but th- there's parts of us in our heart that say, well, I can't, I don't want to associate with them. And maybe there's some strengthening. Maybe there's some things that need to be done before you can be a light to them. Um, and this isn't across the board rule, but we have to have the perception that he's not talking about people. He's talking about deeds. Secondly, um, we see the opposite. We, we act the opposite. We read this verse. We see the scripture, and we're like, wow, okay, I'm now light in the midst of darkness. But we don't really look much different. There is not really a discernible difference between those that would call themselves Christian and those that wouldn't call themselves Christian, except that one group of people gets to sleep in on Sundays. (laughs) And so, what is it then, right? We, in view of our identity, our call to expose the deeds of darkness, all while not blending in, so how do we behave? How do we behave then, if this is our reality, our identity, we're not supposed to be of the world, but we're supposed to be in it and remain in it and expose darkness, but we have to have a, you know, discernment about it. I think we can easily approach behavior like a parent does with a child of like, these are the rules you have to follow. This is the rules of the household. And there, there are things that are black and white, but the majority of it, and I think if we stay, I, I, I can't remember who thought of this analogy, so I can just say it was me. Um, <laughs> is, uh, it was probably Bill, probably Bill, to be honest. Um, and we play the game of basketball on the court, but so often we play the game of basketball, you know, so often, as if we view and play the game of basketball on the boundaries, on what is 
not permissible versus what is permissible. That's where we stay. We're not playing the game. So yeah, boundaries are important, and, we ha and there are boundaries that are healthy for us, even in the midst of thinking that they're not. But we need to get back on the court to play the game. And so um, I think Jesus would have a different response to these questions of what are the rules? What do I need to do? What do I need to do to be truly happy? Give me the, give me the secret list of, just give me the list of things that I can have on my phone just to look at that I can just do and not do, do and not do, and kind of look through life through that lens. And I think Jesus would have a different answer. He would say, follow me. What are the rules that I need to follow? Well, follow me. What are the behaviors that I need to have uh, in order to be wise in this world and be, live a transformed life? Well, follow me. Because there comes a point in our walk with Jesus that, I hate to use this language, but there's like a line drawn, and Jesus isn't a line. It's not, there's not, this isn't a salvation line. This is a transformation line. There's only so far that we can go on our walks with Jesus before there's something that has to change in us to continue following him. Look at, look at Mark. Look at um, uh, the rich young ruler. This man um, there's a story in um, three of the gospel um, accounts. These are the, 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 four, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In three of the accounts, this is a story that is talked about, um, and Jesus is, is, is walking with his disciples. This man runs up to him, and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus knew, you know, because he's God, because he's Jesus. He knew what was happening here, and he knew, he knew this man already, because he's God. And he knew the, the response already. He knew what this man needed before he even said Jesus. That's, that's the gift. That's the beauty of, of who Jesus is. We come to him with all these things. He already knows. And so um, Jesus lists all these uh, commandments um, to this man who asks, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And the, the man says, I've done all these things since I've been a young, I've been a young boy. I've done everything. Why? But, and you hear it in his, you can almost hear it in his voice. I've done all these things. Why am I still not, why don't I still not feel, why do I still feel empty? What is missing? You can almost like extrapolate what this man is, is, is going through. Why would he be running up to Jesus? What can I do to inherit eternal life? If he's a rich man, he's obviously versed in, in scripture, he's been following the commandments, why would he be asking him? What can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, knowing this, he said, I know this. You've been following me since you were a young boy. But you need to sell all your possessions, and then you can follow me. And the man went away sad because he had many possessions. And what Jesus was getting at, he was getting at a commandment. He was getting at the commandment that he left out of, you know, shall not keep um, idols of God. So this man had made his possessions the idol. But this man had to do something to follow Jesus. Jesus wasn't after a rule. This man wanted kind of, what are the two additional rules I need to follow? What are the things that I'm missing? What are the checkboxes in my salvation and, and walk with, with God that I'm missing and that I'm not feeling fulfilled with? Well, you're looking at it the wrong way. He's after the transformation of this man's heart. And that takes work. That takes, that takes a step in, in a direction that we need to take, that this man needed to take. And who knows, maybe he ended up taking that route, but he went away sad that day because of what he knew he had to do. And so, um, we get to um, verse 15 then. Be very careful then how you live, 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I'm going to quickly go through some of the, um, uh, what is happening here, what, what the scripture is talking about here, what Paul is referring to with some of these phrases. So be very careful then. It's not like a walking this line and making sure we don't step on the cracks. How many of you guys still do that? Like when you walk in the sidewalks? Like that, I don't know, I just, just thought of it. I'm always like, oh, the cracks, and that song, I don't know, Break Your Mama's Back comes in my head. Anyways, but that's not what um, Jesus, that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about being very careful. Um, like when I tell my daughter, she's just learned to ride a bike, um, and she's crazy. Um, and I'm like, I always say, like, honey, be very careful. Like he's not, he's not talking about that kind of careful. Uh, uh, but there, there are hints to that, and that's not entirely untrue. But what is actually the phrase that's being used here is a phrase that a judge, um, the, the, same, the same mentality that a judge would have presiding over a case, deciding a case weighing both sides, looking at all of the evidence, not just looking at the evidence that's been submitted, but actually how it all ties together, that there is a life on the line, that there is a weight to what is happening here. And it's, it's, a, it's scrutinous. It's, it's, it's carrying the weight of a decision that matters, that's going to have a lifelong consequence based on this decision. That's the kind of mentality and the lens that, that Paul's using with that, that word. Um, making the most of every opportunity. I think a lot of us... Um, might hear this, this phrase, make the most out of every opportunity. It sounds like a slogan for, um, I don't know, Nike or something. It's like, you only have so many minutes in the day, you gotta, you gotta win the day. You know, YOLO. It's like, you have to like, um, just, just go for it. And, and we only have a certain amount of time here, we got to make the most out of, of every day. Do not let the day go away without, without winning, um, you know, just whatever. I, I'm not a very good motion innovational speaker. But, you get my point. And so, um, <laughs> but what he's talking, he would have used language about uh, chronological time here in the, in the original Greek. He would have used um, uh, uh, chronos, but he uses an opportune time to talk about what he's, uh, this, 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 this verse. So it's borrowed from the marketplace language. It's like, it's like there are bargains on the table that no one else sees. Like you need to seize those up because these are gems to be taken. We need to redeem time. The, world, the world's time is gravitational towards evil. We need to take that back for the kingdom of God. We need to bring that back into a fullness of God. And so it's opportune time. It's being awake. It's looking out across the horizon, not just at what's in front of us. Some of us, it's actually not hurrying. It's actually Sabbath is making the most of your time. So again, it's not talking about this hurriedness. It's talking about almost... A, a dedicated lens that is able to filter um, the moments to say yes to and the moments to say no to. And then lastly, the days are evil. Um, I don't know if this much needs um, explanation because it really just says the days are evil. <laughs> uh, it's a common Jewish sentiment. I would say it's the same as it was then and it is today. We look around this world, we turn on the news, and we say, yeah, the days are evil. There is, there is powers and principalities working against the work of God here on earth. And so, again, it just highlights this fact that what we do here matters. Our time here matters. If the days are evil, that means that there are days where we can take back and regain the opportune time for the kingdom of God to be revealed. And so, uh, 
this is kind of John's um, uh, summary of what we just read. What you do matters. Your decisions matter. Weigh them like your life is on the line. Don't rush through life while you do this, but look for the most valuable moments to take hold of. Life that is truly life is found in them. You can clearly see that this world is bending you a certain way, a way that is not best for you. So learn to discern these things so you can have life and have it in the full. So how do we then address verse 15? Live as unwise. Live as wise, not as unwise. We can, um, careful, we can look at these last 10 verses here and we see this kind of contrasting oppositions with the words that are used. Um, there's a list here that I pulled up, um, that I pulled out of, out of these words. Some are, are in, in the scripture, some are just the opposite of what is there. We look at light versus darkness, wise, unwise, truth, lies, goodness, wickedness, fruit, fruitless, pleasing, displeasing, exposed, secret, awake, asleep, careful, clumsy, understand, foolish. And no one looks at this list and goes, yeah, that second bit, that's what I want. I want to be a part of that darkness. Give me more of that darkness. No one parents their child and says, today, son, I'm going to teach you about keeping secrets, uh, being clumsy, although kids are clumsy, and, um, and being fruitless. The one thing I actually hope right now, my four-month-old daughter, I wish I could teach her to be asleep. Um, <laughs> so I just want darkness for her for like a couple weeks to regain some sleep. Um, but we toy with this, don't we? We toy with this. I can't tell you how many times I've asked for someone's testimony and group or something, and hey, can you share your testimony? It's like, well, I'll share my testimony, but I don't have one of those stories. I was raised a Christian, and I, I never really experienced darkness, or I would kind of wish I had a rebellious phase, because there's like, there's like, a, there's like, a, hinge, there's like a, a hint of, of disappointment. It's like, we want to taste and see for ourselves. Yeah, I've heard that money is the root of all evil, but I kind of like to find out for myself. Can I, just, can I just win the lottery? and I'll give it all away, I promise. At the end, I'll give it all away. I'll give it, but can I just like... And we laugh, but it's like we, um, we do this. I think... Uh, I'm sure there are those that are married here. Uh, that Maybe you got married young, um, and it's a beautiful thing. You've, you, you, um, you both came to your marriage, virgins, and it's just this beautiful thing. And then... Years go on, these little hints come in, and it's like, man, I kind of wish I had fooled around a bit. I kind of wish I had done whatever, fill in the blank. I kind of wish I had more experience. These things that kind of feel like um, we want to find out for ourselves. And yet as someone who came into marriage fooling around, we've had to, I screwed up many times. And we had to do so much work to get to a healthy place before we got married, and even nine years after being married, still things creep in because of those decisions. So it's like we can hear these testimonies from others like, yeah, I hear you say it's not good, but I want to find out for myself because we think we're missing out of something when God has so much more to offer us. Whether it, Fill in the blank, whatever it is that you think you want, you want to experience or, or have your, your time in because we see this list we see this list and we say... We say, I don't want any part of that. Heck no. But there are things behind, there's a list, and there's the list behind the list. And it's these things wrapped up into pretty neat packages, these Christmas presents, these Turkish delights, right? If you've seen C.S. Lewis. Um, and, 
And uh, we, we see these things behind wrapped tent, and our ears perk up. And the enemy uses these whispers of temptation in us. Just this one time, you'll be forgiven. As a serpent said to Eve before taking the fruit, you will not certainly die. Or my favorite, this must just be my thorn in my side. <laughs> How are we doing? <laughs> and I think uh, my generation, I think many of us, even as we view in this negative way of viewing the church as an institution, have rejected too far this idea of moralism, the work of moralism, the work of effort, the working out of our faith and salvation. And again, I can't, I can't say this enough. God's grace means that we are not hidden in Christ. But brothers and sisters, we are missing out and we're on the sidelines if we don't feel that we have to put the work in. Why is it the divorce rates, addiction rates, the amount of abuse in relationships is no different outside the church than inside the church? We as the church are called to reveal the manifold wisdom of God here on earth to the heavenly places. So angels, maybe even Christ himself, is looking at the church here on earth, and we are supposed to be revealing God's wisdom to the rest of the world. And, they're supposed to, to, and to the angels. It's crazy. And so they're supposed to look and say, like, okay, it's, I, see God's, I see the manifold wisdom of God being expressed there. I don't see it over here, but I see it. I see it there in Long Beach. The manifold wisdom of God is expressing itself. That is our call. We want that to be our reality, but so often it's not our reality. And um, it's like the, it's, when we get this right, we hear these questions like, wait, you forgive one another? There's no need among you? Wait, you look first to others before yourself? You do what with your money? I was with uh, my neighbor yesterday. Our girls were playing together. And um, he was talking about a vacation he was going on. And he's like, yeah. He's like, oh, you guys went, you guys went to, on vacation recently, right? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, was that expensive? I'm like, well, it was. But we have this is actually this amazing couple in our church. And they just said, like, hey, we know you guys can't really afford this right now. Can we bless you with this vacation? And we're like, oh, my gosh. And um, he's like, what? They just gave you a vacation? I'm like, yeah, it was amazing. And... He's like, tell me more about these people. <laughs> Can I be their friend? And I'm like, no, they're crazy. Like, they're literally crazy. They, I mean, um, they've, they've talked about this story, so I can talk about this. But they, they, um, they bought this house, and they ended up having to tear it down because it had black mold in it. And um, they ran out of money because their business wasn't doing very well. And they're just like, what have we done? We bought this house. We thought God was leading us here. And we bought this house, and it just... It, it's literally crumbling before us, everything we thought that God was asking us to do, and we've been obedient. And they heard, both heard from God. It was just like, give, give more. Give your money away. And it was like, what? How do we give in the space of scarcity? Even what Faith was talking about this morning, that we serve a God that takes care of the birds of the air, clothes the lilies, um, clothes this world in, in his righteousness. And so, they ended up giving, they started giving money away. And it was like a week later, all of a sudden, their business just out of nowhere skyrocketed. And amazing. And so they just started reorienting their entire life around generosity. They are cheerful givers. 
you want to be around these people. They're just like, they just exude this. They, it, it, it bubbles up out of them. And this guy's just like sitting at the, across the table from me, just going, okay, cool, that's great. Can we go play with our kids now? And he's just like, it was like too much for him to handle. It didn't make sense to him. He's like, how? I don't get it. So um, it's a beautiful thing when we see these expressions. Like, we can't really put a list of rules to that. You can't really check mark, check mark box a box of behaviors for that. That's a... That's a transformation process. That's a follow me moment in learning with Jesus in that. And I love this quote um, from N.T. Wright. He puts this brilliantly. It's kind of long, so stay with me. It says, the individual Christian and the church as a whole must develop the settled habits of looking out for what's going on in the surrounding world, rejoicing with its joy, weeping with its grief, and above all, eager for opportunities to bring love, comfort, healing, and hope wherever possible. And with all these, it may bring faith, not necessarily by speaking of Jesus all the time, which it can, but by living Jesus in public. This world, the world, and sadly some in the church too, may well sneer at the do-gooder. Sometimes the sneering may even be earned. But the abuse doesn't invalidate the use. It may well simply demonstrate that the work that needs doing is best done through habit, through virtue, through the ninefold fruit of the Spirit, through the conscious choices of a whole community and individuals within it in pursuit of their own particular vocation to develop, acquire, and sustain the habits of royal priesthood. So good. How do we do this? We can't avoid culture. We're called to be in it, but not of it. We can't immerse ourselves so much that we look no different and lose what it means to follow Jesus. So then what? And if you're waiting for a secret, there is no secret to this. (laughs) It's not an answer like the rich young ruler wanted. It's not a checkmark box of rules to follow. It's actually engaging what's been in front of us the entire time. And so first, we're going to look at the ways we approach this holistically as a Christian community. The ways of those that follow Christ and how we engage transformation. And then we have a set of questions um, from someone that is really helpful to look at how do we discern what, the, what, what God's will is. How do we live wise lives in light of what we have heard this morning? Um, again, borrowing from N.T. Wright, his book, After You Believe, it is a beautiful book if you um, are looking for one to, to, to have, especially in light of this conversation. Um, he outlines some of the ways we form this kind of character in the midst of the culture we live. And first and foremost, the most countercultural um, uh, device that has ever been invented in human history. No, it's not the iPhone. It is the scriptures. We read the Bible. We must form this habit. And we don't form the habit so that we get into the habit of reading scriptures. We read scriptures to get into the habit of having it change our mind, our body, our soul. It's, it's, it's process in that is addicting. It's process in that is the habit that we form. And we find ourselves um, kind of in tension so many times. I think I've talked to so many people. It's like, well, I just read it, and I'm just confused. Um, there's, there's just weird tension in there. There's questions I just have. It's like, well, your lives are full of tension and questions. Why wouldn't those be expressed? And we'd see those in Scripture. So live with that tension. Don't let that stop you from reading. Um, our staff is on a 60-day New Testament journey together. We're in Revelation this morning. It's our book of Revelation. It's been a beautiful transformation process going from the beginning of from Matthew all the way to Revelation. It's been beautiful. It's part of some of the things that have come up in this, what I'm talking about this morning and some of the things I'm going to talk about in a bit here, what 
I've been faced with because of the habit of reading Scripture daily. Not necessarily the words that I'm reading. It's just this, it's, it, there's a power behind the Scripture that we read. And so, read Scripture. Um, share stories. We share stories. Stories shape culture. So we share stories here at the Garden. We should be sharing stories in our lives. We also find ourselves wrapped up in the story of Scripture. That we identify with what's happening there is nothing new under the sun. You have something that has happened to you in life, something you're facing. Um, trust me, someone has gone through it. And so we identify with that. And the story continues. The story didn't end. doesn't end. We are a continuation of the story. There is a larger arc that is happening and that we are a part of, the renewal and the redemption of all things. And the church is the, re- is the restoration process through which that happens. And so um, that's sharing stories. We look up at examples. Um, we, we enter into discipleship relationships. That's why I'm so excited about house churches because we're going to be entering into discipleship relationships where we look at, up to examples. We're working this out together. We have a mentality of, uh, of working this out where maybe someone is a little farther along, whatever that means, not like a hierarchy ladder, but just we have experience. We've dealt with these things in the past, and there's a discipleship component there, so that's exciting. Um, community. It's the heart of the Christian life. It's the working out in community that we don't get to choose our family just as much as I know people who do the house churching and or house churching, church, church hopping. Or what's that? Um, and we kind of like, and, and it, there, there's, there's something to that to discover what community best suits you. But at the same time, there's going to come a time where you're going to face a reality here. It, doesn't, it could be at the garden, it could be any church you're a part of, where you don't agree or, you dis, or something kind of rubs you the wrong way. If that happens, that, that should be happening. Those are opportunities for Jesus to work. Those are opportunities for us to like figure this out together, to get messy. I would love if Jesus only worked in happy situations. He doesn't, unfortunately. He works in conflict. And we have to pr- push into that and pursue that and redeem that. Um, and lastly, practices. Some of the practices we participate in can sometimes get watered down and muddied um, in just the routine of doing them. But they are so essential to our transformative process to living wisely baptisms, communion, the beautiful Eucharist that we celebrated this morning, um, the giving of our finances, God who has given generously to us, and this is a model of what we do in light of that reality. Worship. It grieves me that this isn't just true for the 1115. I think it's, tr- it's true, definitely true for the 915. There's less than half of us here ready to worship at the time when worship begins. We're missing out on an experience, a transformative process, stepping into places where we are met with the living God and um, together as a community. And then prayer. We do this through prayer. And it hit me this week, um, and my wife's in this category, so you're in good company. Um, that some of us just have never come up for prayer because we either feel that, um, and we've never been prayed for. How can, how can we have said yes to Jesus and never have, and, and some of us, we just don't find ourselves in, in, with groups or people, and we have things that are going on, but we need to pursue this. And if we can't receive prayer on a Sunday, then how are we expected to be a transformative, light-bringing presence to the places that we go? And so, if it's pride, set it aside this morning. If it's, oh, God just thinks that um, uh, high, more highly of others than he does, does me, or uh, my worries, my prayers, or pale in comparison to, to everyone else's. That's just not true. So maybe it's stepping into that, um, whatever the call is this morning, you don't have to, you can just get prayer, whatever you feel like you need prayer for. Um, 
And lastly, how, as we, as we are slowly drawing to a conclusion here, how do we understand what the Lord's will is? This presupposes that we want to know the Lord's will. But when we're faced with life, life will happen. How do we respond? How do we live wisely? And this isn't God's guidance. This isn't, um, who should I marry? What school should I go to? Should I do this or that? Those are, those are things, but I think God is more concerned with helping us become the kinds of people who can make those decisions in a wise way. And um, that's, that's living wisely. And so there's um, a list of questions that I'm borrowing from Mike Erie. He gave this list to, to uh, I was a part of Rock Harbor a decade ago. I can't believe it's been that long. Um, and he gave this list that's actually, I, I found in my journal this last week, and it was such a, a helpful list of questions to draw this, what does it mean to live wisely in the midst of a world that is bending us to this, these blurred lines, these gray areas? The Bible talks about some of the, the boundaries, but there's kind of all this wiggle room in between, it feels like sometimes. So these questions are a framework. Um, it's a great lens that we use to navigate. And so the questions are going to be up here. Uh, and these are, again, a lens to look at. This isn't a killjoy. This isn't... Um, this isn't, if you look at this, this, these questions and you think this is just a bunch of thou shalt nots, John, you're looking at the wrong way. God has such a desire for you to live a certain way. And so the first question, does it bring dishonor to God's name? Does it compromise my witness or give the appearance of evil? Does this hinder my relationship with Jesus? Does it honor God with my body? Does it cause another to stumble? Will I be mastered by this? And lastly, um, Philippians test is finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You can go back to the list of questions if you need to see them. Yeah, so I've been running these questions through my life, and um, I can tell you that a lot of the things that I do are a big solid no to those questions. So I've been processing this, I've been repenting, I've been confessing to my wife, and um, one of the things that's come up with is this device. This thing that, um, this iPhone 6S, 128 gigabytes of memory, um, all kinds of power, more knowledge, access to more knowledge information than has ever been able to be accessed in the entire human history. This device that is supposed to have revolutionized the way we work, think, and do life. And I think We've talked about social media devices and things like this in the past, obviously. For me, um, this thing has represented so many things that um, don't filter through this lens. Um, my time, uh, the missed moments, the arguments with my wife when I'm on the phone when I should be paying attention to her, um, the most missed opportunities with my daughter because I'm too busy checking the news or wanting to be caught up with the most present information the email app that I deleted from this phone only to go to the browser to find the email app to get emails back on my phone. The Instagram um, hashtag of doom where I'm on the hashtags and all of a sudden I'm in the most debaucherous places on Instagram. Like, how did I get here? How have I let this thing? I can't be trusted with this thing. It is, it is doing things to me and bending me away that I just can't be trusted with right now. So I got a new phone. I got this 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 little thing. Um, the only feature it has is if I hold down the, the five button, this little flashlight comes on. Um, so 
and it's so frustrating. And I got this Thomas guide to figure out where I'm going in life. Remember these things and maps? And so this is extreme, and I know it's extreme. It's, I'm, in, I'm on day two. I'm in like the second stage of, of grief right now. I'm, I'm angry right now. I'm, I'm, I think bargaining's next on the stage of grief, am I right? So I think I'm going to be using my wife's phone and being like, hey. But no, I, I'm, I'm so, I've experienced actually so much freedom already. I, I've, I've, I left this like in my chair. I, I'm like, because oh, I don't, it doesn't do anything. <laughs> Why do I need it? So it's just been, it's so easy. But I, I'm, I'm sure it'll be a process. It's like this, but it's become, it's like we have five vital organs in our, in our, in our bodies. And this feels like the sixth vital organ. It's like, gosh. And what is that sixth vital organ for you? I don't know what it is, but um, shouldn't we look different? As Paul says in another letter, we must test everything and hold on to what is good. What is the TV we watch, the media we use, the conversations we are a part of, our browser history, our bank statements? Why? Because now your light in the Lord live as children of light. This world, this city, your neighbors, your friends, your family needs you to be light in the midst of a dark world. We expose darkness just by being light. We bring light to places without even realizing it. The only reason I'm a Christian is because there was a a girl in one of my college classrooms that somehow was passively, um, not somehow, she was filled with Christ. She was light in a dark place. She didn't have to say a word, and yet somehow I knew. I was like, hey, do you go to church? She's like, yeah, I go to church. like, hey, what church is it? Can I come with you? Yeah, of course. And I accepted Christ that week. <laughs> and she was just passively being a light in that way. The odds change when we enter a room. Do we walk in that reality? Do we realize that reality? Are we doing the work to be that reality? Again, empowered through the Spirit, in light of our salvation, in light of that securedness. But what, what's, what are we needing to step into? And so as we, as we close, um, I'm going to invite the worship team back up. I know we're hitting up against time here. But in order for us to be light, in order for us to engage what it means to be wise, in order for us to make the most of every opportunity, it's time to bring some things to the surface. I think if we're all honest, there are, there are, there's, there's something that needs to be brought to the surface this morning. The point of this is to become the kinds of people who live and breathe the way God intended it for us in the first place. It was in the garden that shame and guilt and sin entered in it. Entered in. It is on the cross that shame and guilt and sin were dealt with. Some of us have remained in, that, in the garden too long, and we need to be redeemed, and we need to recognize that we are now light in the midst of darkness. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.